The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And uh, I actually should say good afternoon as well because my guest today, Carol Ann Scott, is joining us from London, uh, where she is based. Uh, Carol Scott is a thought leader, writer, presenter, and a consultant uh, passionate about the concept of museum value, how we describe it, how we measure it, how we create it, and leverage it with our state stakeholders and audiences and uh, as I do with all of my guests I always do a little bit of a pre-interview so that we can focus uh, our questions a little bit more and Carol and I had such a fabulous conversation the other day I wish that we could have recorded that as well so we're going to try to uh, replicate as much of that uh, passion and, and uh, uh, collaboration as, as we can. I will let Carol uh finish up her uh, her resume. It is quite impressive. Uh, Carol, so welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol, and, and good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Carol, uh, please just share your career trajectory in your own words, and of course, um, listeners are always interested in those influential events uh, and uh, aha moments that have most influenced your work? You know, when I was thinking about that question, Carol, the interesting answer to it is that my aha moment wasn't in museums. I actually, before I went into museums, I was a teacher and an educator, and I worked for many years in Aboriginal education and principally in Central Australia. I was hired by an Aboriginal community school, and it was a group of parents who had done an extremely brave thing. They were very unhappy with the education their children were receiving in state schools, and so they pulled their children out of the schools and decided that they would teach them themselves uh, using a bilingual and a bicultural curriculum, and I was hired to be their curriculum coordinator. And it was an, you know, it was an extremely um, brave move on their part, um, but it was also an extremely uh, political situation. Uh, the parents were threatened uh, with um, uh, with being charged under the Truancy Act, and you know, it was a situation of conflict for a number of years. But you know, the Aboriginal community just stood very, very firm, and as a result, the state education department was eventually forced to negotiate with them. And they sent officials in to evaluate um, the teaching standard that, that the children were experiencing and also the curriculum that they were undergoing. And it was, it was one of those really salutary moments when I, I just suddenly realized that evaluation, you know, that process for measuring the worth and merit of something is a very important and it's a really powerful tool. And so I, I, uh, the school was successful. They, they passed the tests and they eventually were, um, 
able to apply for funding, both for accreditation as an independent community school and also for funding, you know, to build a school building and, you know, hire more teachers and um, engage Aboriginal women in teacher education. So very rich and very, very exciting years, but it really was the catalyst to start me um, in a career which it was eventually, well, first of all, it was about evaluation. And, uh, you know, I did that through the Australia Council for the Arts and, and then in museums for many years. But eventually it was, it was not only about evaluation as a process, but about value and, and how we apply it to the experiences that people have in museums and to museums themselves. That's very interesting. Uh, and as many of us, you know, aha moments come from a variety of, of, uh, of places, but I can really understand how that made you realize that measuring the unmeasurable uh, and then being able to use that to, to demonstrate value was essential for this group of parents and, and really for the success of that project. Yeah, I think, I think that's quite true. And it's an interesting phrase, kind of measuring the immeasurable. And, and I, I, in some ways, I guess I think almost, we can measure almost anything, but we need to use the appropriate tools to do that. And interestingly, when, when I actually started my career in museums, it was at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, in Australia. And it was very, very new in the field of evaluation and audience research in, in Australasia. I was actually the first person who was appointed to that sort of a position. And it was, you know, my, my job description when I first um, began that role was really evaluating exhibitions and conducting visitor surveys so that we had a better idea of what our visitor profile was. But it very, very rapidly changed. And it was about evaluating not only exhibitions, but all of the programs and all of our services. And it wasn't just about the visitors that came to the museums. It was about um, the, you know, the potential audience, those, who else could we attract. And then it became about uh, digital users as well. But interestingly, the moment um, you know, when, when I was hired really coincided, you know, getting back to this whole thing about um, value and merit and the criteria that are used with the, the move towards increased accountability for receiving public funds. And quite suddenly, museums had to report you know, their outputs and their outcomes to acquit their grants. And I found myself really in the thick of performance evaluation and a whole lot of conversations, which really continue to this day, about what sort of criteria are being used to judge the worth of museums. And I think that, you know, that the conversation has been a kind of an active one and one that's been debated and one which is often contested because frequently governments have wanted um, indicators which are, are quite um, statistical and museums have argued that so much of the experience in museums is, you know, you use the word um, kind of immeasurable, but you know, often the word is intrinsic. How do you how do you measure those sorts of intrinsic experiences? And I think that that is possible. I think we're seeing more convergence in that area now. But these great debates have been around what what it is that you do evaluate, and and how you evaluate so that you get a total rather than a partial picture. You know, I, I find that um, so so interesting as, as well as I, I was uh, reflecting on the shift in uh, visitors' studies and evaluation, and, and you've characterized it very well, moving from looking inward at the success of a particular exhibition or perhaps as a... a you know, the success of a program within the confines of the of the museum walls to then expanding that wider and wider uh, to online programming and then just the fact of having the museum uh, within a community and the value mm-hmm. that that plays uh, whether or not people come in the doors that uh, it, it seems as if we have been on a on that tra- trajectory of perhaps I, I might care Characterize it as a maturity. Does that ring true for you? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think maturity in terms of our our practice of evaluation. I think we've been um, 
we've become much more, I think, adept in terms of using, you know, the great range of evaluation tools that they are, but it's, it's also the context and the reasons for which we, we use evaluation and, and, you know, audience research as far as that's concerned. And I, and I just, I see um, a, a greater extent and a greater depth. So if you thought about it on those two axes, the, you know, those two axes are just sort of extending kind of constantly in two directions. And I think, um, you know, we, we started off, I'd, I'd say, you know, 20 or more years ago, wanting to know who our visitors were and wanting to know the kind of extrinsic reasons for which they came to museums. Was it because of a, a special program or activity? Was it because of the school holidays and they wanted something for children to do? Was it because they had visitors from out of town? You know, all of those sorts of things. And more and more what we've done is move into the intrinsic reasons that people are coming to museums. What, what values are they trying to satisfy with leisure in general, with museums, with visits to, to museums in particular? Um, you know, what, what, what kind of experiences are they looking for if they're in an adult group or if they're, they're an adult traveling alone or if they're with children? And I, I just find that really exciting. Well, it, it, you know, it occurs to me as, as you were talking, we really have moved from marketing uh, studies, which are necessary. Where do, where do visitors come from? You know, who are they? What are they interested in? What are their motivations? Uh, but to, as you say, these more intrinsic and um, uh, psychological, cultural, social uh, impacts and, and implications. And, but I would think that that also uh, for you as an evaluator means that you have to step back a moment and be very, as you say, be very, very clear of what you mean by value and then creating mm-hmm. ways that you can, you can measure it. And I'm very interested to know how you can measure value. Um. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and you know, you, you, the first question you asked me, Carol, was about my own career traje- trajectory, and just picking up on something you've just said, I think within the field of evaluation, there's a trajectory as well, and, and I think you've really put your finger on the fact that there, initially, I think uh, a lot of the evaluation and audience research in museums um, took some of its um, methods from market research, and, and market research is always treating, um, you know, the visitor as a, a kind of a customer or a consumer. And I, th- I think, you know, we, we, still, we still do that. We, we uh, you know, are very interested in museums um, as part of a, a kind of a, a uh, if you like, a, a part of a competitive leisure field and, and where they fit into that. But I think um, that trajectory in terms of, of practice has, has gone through various iterations. And I think... Uh, one of them is, is just really looking at um, the existence values in museums, if, if, if I can put it that way, or the kind of intrinsic values in museums. And I think, you know, as a society, we, we value what museums are. We, we, we build new museums, and uh, we invest a lot of money in kind of signature architecture. And, you know, governments in, uh, throughout the, the Western world really continue to invest in museums that we have, and we and we do that because we see museums as having um, a, a very important place in our, the connective structure of, of our societies, and also as as very positive civic spaces where we we come together, we touch the past, we share heritage, we connect with others, um, you know, we revel in beauty, and uh, we feel pride in achievements, and and we can have conversations. And I, and I think, um, you know, we've become more and more adept perhaps at being able to describe, you know, the existence value of museums, particularly um, as, as um, through our users and, and through a lot of the evaluation that we've done with users. But I think that there, there's now another um, development in that trajectory, and this is a dimension of value which is emerging which is a museum as creators and producers of value. So not just having intrinsic and inherent value, but actually sort of quite intentionally using their assets to achieve social change. And I think that that's um, 
are very, very interesting and, and very positive to mention, but one, of course, which requires our own practice and evaluation to do different things than perhaps it's done in the past. Wow, you've, you've said so much, uh, and I'd like to unpack a little bit of that before we, we uh, go on our, our first break, which is you know, uh, about five minutes away, so not, not to worry, not to rush. Uh, but <clears throat> that this idea, uh, first, of just some of the language that you've you've used as uh, museums as as positive civic spaces as uh, different ways of I think I heard you say sort of defining value is that correct? Yeah, I, I think museums are very you know I I think I use the terms they they're part of of connective cultural structure you know and they um, they they connect us with. Um, you know, cultural memory and, and our heritage. And, but it, they connect us actually with past, present, and future. They're also, I think contemporary museums are connecting us as much with now and where we want to go as they are with where we have come from. And it, uh, and it seems, too, that, that another measure of the value of museums is simply their, uh, their value as community builders, yeah, and, and I, I think I think I, I think that they can be. Um, perhaps we perhaps we can do more in this area. I think you know, just getting back to the, your your question about metrics because it's a, it's an interesting one. We kind of we value what we measure, you know. And and I think when I when I was thinking about you know, kind of the categories of metrics that we use, we use metrics around participation. So you know how many how many people attend museums, and um, you know in in the UK, for example, fifty two percent of the adult population. So this isn't even including children that come on school visits, but fifty two percent of the adult population have visited uh, a museum or galleries in the past six months. Now that's that's over fifty percent of the population. That's really you know that's very big. And we also we also have questions. We have another category of questions about attraction. So. Um, you know the the extent to which um, people are attracted, tourists particularly inbound tourists are attracted to come to museums. And then there are questions about metrics around engagement. So you know the effort people are willing to put into the time to visit a museum or to travel to a museum, and um, the effort they're, their willingness to pay or to be or to spend extra time as volunteers, and then satisfaction. So a lot of a lot of what we the metrics that we use for measurement are often around that kind of um, visitor as consumer kind of thing. But I, I think if we're thinking about this, this next um, development in the trajectory, um, what impact museums have and what difference they make for both individuals and for the communities they, they serve, then I think our metrics are going to have to reflect this change. And, and I think those metrics um, very often... Uh, go beyond the immediate visit and whether having museums has, uh, and look at whether having museums has a positive impact in the public domain. Yeah, oh, great. And I want to delve into that a little bit more when we come back from break because it does occur to me that the metrics that we, as, as you uh, ve- uh, identified very clearly, participation, attraction, engagement, satisfaction, are all really important measures, but they're also the same measures that we would use for a variety of leisure activities. And I think sometimes that comes back to bite us because it 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 sometimes pushes museums to do what is attractive or what is you know generally enjoyable generally not going to uh, uh, cause any um, uh, concern and uh, not uh, uh, certainly keeps some museums away from addressing controversial issues mm-hmm. and uh, be in for fear that some of these satisfaction engagement consumer uh, measures will not you know prove to be uh, as as large as they would like them to be and therefore it 
you know, it it looks as if they aren't as valuable. Uh, where perhaps if they do deal with a controversial subject of like climate change, uh, that they really are providing a unique and distinctive service for the community. Even though sometimes we feel a little uncomfortable going through uh, a, a program or exhibition about it. That's a, that's a really interesting note to pick up on after the break, Carol. I, I'd, uh, I'd love to sort of uh, discuss that one with you. Great. Wonderful. So we will be back in uh, just a few moments. So stay tuned. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, remember to drop me a line at carol.bossard at verizon.net. I always love to hear what you're thinking about, what guests you want to be talking about. And also, uh, if there is anything that I can do as an interpretive planner and exhibit developer to help you with your own uh, work. So stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Are you ready for an anything-goes, hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly, fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossard, and I'm here today with Carol Scott. And we've been talking about uh, measuring value and the importance of value uh, of museums. And right before we went to break, Carol was making the point that, in fact, uh, we are moving beyond uh, uh, traditional or typical consumer metrics, such as participation or satisfaction, as a way of beginning to measure measure intrinsic value. And so, Carol, you, uh, during break, you said that you had an example of this. I think um, we, we sort of ended, we were talking a little bit about um, how, uh, about the whole issue about kind of controversy or, or kind of taking the risk um, to do you know, different things and, and perhaps it's very important to have certain types of 
public conversations in museums that, that help people deal with unresolved social issues. And I, I, um, it made me think, uh, last year I did a, a major piece of research with museum studies um, people at the University of Leicester with two um, terrific colleagues, Jocelyn Dodd and Richard Sandell. And um, we, were, we actually were researching about um, two decades of British research into user, the way users describe the value of, of their experiences in museums and galleries. And after, and this was a very large data set. It, it covered museums and galleries all around um, the United Kingdom and um, in all types of museums and galleries with all types of collections and across, across generations. And when, but when we actually sort of distilled the information down, it fell into three major categories. And we called one of them active engagement. We called one of them well-being. And we called the other one connectedness. And I just wanted to make a point about the first of those three categories, which was active engagement. And some of the things really struck me. You know, we, active engagement is what we would have called learning maybe 20 years ago, and which we now often talk about as meaning-making in museums. And what we found is that users did not use the terms. Um, they, didn't, they certainly didn't use the terms making meaning, and they very seldom used the term learning. But what they did do was really describe the cognitive processes that they were using to do exactly that. And so and the, interesting, the thing that really struck me about their, their descriptions were that um, you know, and this, this is the former teacher coming out. It was not at the lower level of cognition. We weren't talking about recognition. We weren't talking about recall. We were really talking about the very highest orders on the cognitive scale. We were talking about evaluating, questioning, reflecting, comparing, synthesizing. And it was, you know, so it was, museums really provide the kinds of experiences that get people to think critically. And that, you know, I think that's very exciting in a 21st century world where we're really bombarded by an awful lot of information and being able to make sense of information has never been more important than it is these days. But the other thing that came out of this particular part of the study was that learning, you know, that which we used to call learning and, and making sense out of things, is not always a comfortable experience. And so people talked about, you know, they talked about discovering things and they talked about being enlightened, um, but they talked about being challenged and they talked about being confronted and they talked about being shocked. And so, you know, learning, learning in museums and making sense of encounters in museums, having your, your kind of, um, your, your cognitive apparatus really stimulated and challenged in museums takes you out of your comfort zone. And I think, you know, we, we, museums actually do this already even before we, we start sort of looking at really planning to do programs that are perhaps uh, more provocative and more controversial. So that, you know, that was one thing that I, I sort of, uh, a point that I wanted to make, Carol, and I guess, you know, the other one that flowed out a little bit from you know, some of the discussions that we had is that Again, just going back you know, to your point about metrics, I think often, um, besides those kind of consumer metrics that we have, we often, um, often our metrics are about activity. You know, an activity is, is generally very well-intentioned, or we measure the outcomes of that activity. So we talk about all the, the programs, the outreach programs, and then we, we talk about the number of outreach programs, and then we talk about the number of participants in the outreach programs. And I think those metrics are also um, really very, you know, really very important. But I do think that if we are moving into a new, a new area, which is much about much more intentionally planning to make a difference for individuals and communities and often to affect social change, um, our evaluation practice needs to move beyond measuring activity and immediate outcomes and look at those longer-term effects and the change that occurs as a result. So, you know, I think then in terms of our practice, we're talking about pre- and post-testing, we're talking about longitudinal studies, uh, we're looking at control groups, all of those sorts of things. You know, the other thing that uh, strikes me as, as you were, were uh, uh, sharing the, the wonderful uh, example is that, and I know this is going to sound very obvious and naive to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the, ki- the 
kinds of studies that you're talking about require a lot of time. It requires a lot of conversation with each individual. This is not just a survey, a paper survey that you can fill, you know, give to someone and say, here, in five minutes, check whether, you know, did you like, you know, what was your level of like? And I would well, you know, it's, 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 again, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I, I think, I guess when we looked at these two decades of museum and gallery studies here in the UK, and, and I, you know, my, my lounge room is just full of boxes of reports. You could hardly move. It was, it, it was really looking at, at, you know, at surveys, but also a lot of case studies lot of you know, in-depth interviews and all the different methodologies that that made this up and it was it was um, kind of a, a data mining exercise of absolutely mammoth proportions but I think we and, and it, was, it was also a critical look at this material but you know we have to do this Carol because I think I think one of the you know and I'll come back to this a bit later but I think one of the reasons that there is but, you know, governments all over the Western world are really decreasing the amount of public investment in museums. And it's happening as we speak. And I think one of, one of the reasons for that is that we as a sector have not been as adept as we need to be in terms of, being, uh, in terms of finding a language to really describe our value. And so, you know, I think these, these kind of data mining exercises are actually really very important to do because it helps us get a handle on it. And I would say that, you know, this study, it was big, but we did it in four months. You know, we started, I guess I must have, must have started in March and, the, you know, the report was submitted at the end of June and we published at the beginning of July. So it was, you know, it, it's a you know, fairly, you know, foolish time job for a while, but I think the rewards for the sector in general are really very important. And, and I know that in the United States right now there's, there's a kind of a, a, a similar um, recognition uh, that in fact, you know, this, this kind of work has, has a future, you know, on your side of the Atlantic as, as well as on this side. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, a colleague who's been on the show several times, Susie uh, Wilkening of Reach Advisors, is, is heading up uh, one such study, and I know that there are others as well. But I think you, the other point that is being made here is that kind of significant study requires professional help. Someone yes. you know, such as yourself that has that kind of level of understanding uh, and experience. And it often would, I think it would be stronger uh, if it was done with a variety of museums, either in a region or a style or a type, uh, so that it's not just an individual institution who's either trying to foot the bill, so to speak, or uh, be um, being criticized for it, it being too narrow of a study. So this, it seems that these are uh, very important studies that need to be taken on by the larger museum community and museum organizations. Yes, and I think that um, in addition to generating new studies that are, in, that, that are collective, if you like, I think there's also a real argument to do the data mining of existing research. And I think we, we uh, you know, we go from one study to another, and what we, what we often need to do is, is one of, you know, is a bit of meta-evaluation, you know, kind of looking at, um, you know, what we've got so far. And I think, I'm sure in the United States where there's been a, a really very um, healthy practice of evaluation and not program evaluation and audience research over, you know, a good 30 years, it would be very interesting for, you know, something like AAM or, or some other consortia to, to get together these studies and actually do this kind of critical analysis of, of what already exists. And certainly, you know, in the UK, we, we have um, access to a major survey on leisure participation, which has been going for, well, for 10 years now. And it's, uh, it's a survey which is done through the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, um, along with the National Statistics Office and English, what, um, English Heritage, which is now Historic England, um, Arts Council England, which now looks at museums, and, and Sport England. 
And so, you know, this looks at a whole range of, of um, demographic information. It's, it's demographically sampled. It's run a couple of times a year. It includes children as well as adults. And it looks at a, at a whole range of you know, different types of activity that people do in their leisure times, including museums. But that's not all it looks at. It also looks at, it asks questions about individual well-being, for example, and about um, social capital in communities in terms of trust and belonging and the, the feeling that you can actually affect change in your neighborhood. Now, if you, you know, that, that's a, a marvelous database, which you can do. You can isolate you know, sort of museum activities, and then you can cross-correlate them with the impact that visiting museums has on feelings of individual well-being and health, and also in terms of building social cohesion in communities. And, and it's those, those existing data sets which I think we also must not ignore. And of course, I always, you know, I always think back to that wonderful book by Putnam about bowling alone, and how he really built a case, you know, about um, voluntarism and. Um, and, you know, sort of community, um, you know, decline in sort of community participation through really looking at major data sets in the United States. And that was a marvelous contribution to, you know, our understanding of both those areas. Those are really great examples. There's, there is so much there, and, and that the, uh, the data that is available to you does seem very rich. And I, uh, I would hope that as AAM moves forward with its, uh, with its new five year strategic plan and Laura Lott at the helm, that it would take up a uh, research agenda to help uh, identify. Uh, where these data are, uh, often they end up in, in uh, dusty old reports. Many of them aren't even digitized uh, yet, but this seems as if it's a, a critically important uh, a role that evaluators uh, and museums can be playing really for our uh, own survival. I, I couldn't agree more, Carol, and I think... Um, you know, museums, associations throughout the world, really, this is something that um, I think they can and should be undertaking because it's a real, it's a leadership role, you know, and, and I think it really is from analyzing the existing data and then, and then when you analyze the existing data, you see where the gaps are and you know what new studies have to be generated, but it's out of that that, that you develop, you start to really develop the language. And it's a cohesive and it's a comprehensive language because it's coming out of an amalgamation of studies, not, you know, as you just said, um, from just one institution, but from a combination of institutions. Well, and the other thing uh, that it occurs to me, and I'm sure you do some of uh, some of this as well, and and uh, per, uh, with your uh, your collaboration at the University of Leicester, is y- you work with people outside one's field, and you use the uh, the brain power and of uh, our academic community, who I find are asking similar questions about social well-being, community, uh, well-being related to health, uh, often within, you know, through the lenses of sociology, psychology, uh, and, and uh, um, even uh, language, literature, and culture. Uh, but often the museum piece is missing because that museum professional isn't at the table. And I don't think that that is the academic's fault, but perhaps the, uh, another agenda we can be uh, promoting is having museum professionals, per- particularly those in the evaluation uh, arena, creating more relationships with our academic uh, colleagues. You know, it's, again, it's, it's very, you know, you keep sort of sparking new ideas in me. And just as an aside, I, I'm also the chair of the International Council of Museums in the UK. And every year we run an annual conference, which uh, we title Working Internationally. And this year we're really looking at um, how um, the, the opportunities for international work through partnership. And the partnerships are often with other communities, other instrumentalities beyond the walls of museums. And so we've actually sort of divided this conference into four themes. And one is about how you can sort of build value in the knowledge and innovation sector by working with universities. 
And another one is how you can build it within the health and well-being sector by, you know, working with, um, you know, health providers. And another one is looking at international events like Olympic Games or, you know, on the side of the Atlantic, there's things like the European Capital of Culture, um, the European Capital of Science, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is just regional development opportunities. And I do think there really is a role for museums in working with those, uh, in working on, if you like, sort of issues that concern us all as citizens, but working in partnership with people, with other other organizations that, that have you know, similar types of goals. Very, very well put. And that uh, conference sounds fascinating. Perhaps I'll be able to uh, uh, participate in as well as I think through my schedule for the coming year. But right now we are going to take a break. And when we come back, more with Carol Scott. So stay tuned. Uh, this is a fascinating conversation uh, about the value of museums and, and how we can demonstrate it in very uh, persuasive and real ways. So stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I have been talking today with Carol Scott about uh, museum value and how we measure it and the vocabulary that we use to talk about it and its uh, vital importance in uh, for museums to be, be able to move beyond their value as simply uh, places that consumers like to go, uh, to be, be looking at themselves as a, a part of a wider public value. And uh, right before break, Carol, you were sharing with us a tantalizing, uh, <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm excited, about uh, a, a conference uh, that ICOM UK, UK ICOM, is going to be up. Uh, 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 is is in the process of developing. I'm assuming it's for 2016. And just could you give us a, a few more details for those of us who might like to attend? Yes, absolutely. It's um, every year we Icon UK partners with the National Museum Directors Council to present this conference every year. And each year we also have a third partner, which is our our sort of venue and location partner. And so in 2016, we're very excited that our venue partner is Manchester Museums and Galleries. 
and really particularly because we will be meeting at the Whitworth Art Gallery. Um, the Whitworth Art Gallery is a well-established art gallery, but it has recently had a very, very exciting refurbishment, and it won the European uh, Museum Award of the Year uh, this year. Uh, has a dynamic director, Maria Belsha, who will be giving a keynote address. So that's on the 4th of, of March, 2016, and we, you know, we would really sort of welcome our participation from, from, uh, you know, sort of overseas delegates, and, and we'd really like to see you there. We'll be advertising it on something which is used quite a lot in the UK called Eventbrite, and we actually sort of, um, start to publicize that within, we'll be doing that within the next 10 days. Um, it's it's inexpensive to come. It's about thirty five pounds. It's a really really good thing. Oh, it sounds it does sound uh, sound fabulous. So, uh, so talking a little bit more about looking at this, uh, creating this agenda for uh, 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 demonstrating the museum as, as part of a wider public value. Uh, how are how are you sort of going about that in some of your own work? Well, I think um, we were talking earlier about um, looking at existing data and not, not ignoring the, the really often very rich fields of, of survey data that you know, are collected but perhaps not utilized as much as they, they might be. And, and I think it's extremely important for us to, as a sector, to kind of mine this data and try and make sense of it and then to get a picture of what other questions we really need to ask about you know, the social impact that museums are actually having. But I think the other thing is, at an institutional level, you know, that's kind of at a sectoral level, and it's exactly, in fact, I mean, it's more like a national level. But I think on a, uh, an institutional level, so museum by museum or gallery by gallery, I think that we have to take a step back and we start not necessarily with, not with evaluation, but with planning that states very clear objectives about what change, what social change we want to affect with whom, because we need to do this, you know, as in, in association with our, our constituencies and our communities and where that's going to happen. And then I think the metrics address how we know when the social objectives have been achieved and they, they flow much more easily. So just by way of an example, I, I recently worked with a museum that has a very strong commitment to social justice and to enabling people to stand up to injustice. And so one of the programs that they have is working with schools to combat bullying. Now, what would their metrics be? They, you know, they've got the, the principal, they've got the program. What metrics would they, would they use? And they might have metrics like fewer reported incidents of bullying or less teacher time required to resolve bullying incidents. And they might have qualitative indicators, such as uh, the degree to which teachers and people feel less stressed, more relaxed, and have greater trust for fellow students. And I think, I think that kind of planning, which is really quite intentional, which has very clear objectives to affect some sort of change in the public domain, and it's often in working with partners, you know, partnership has been a, a bit of a thread in this conversation, and then thinking very carefully about what metrics we need to determine whether or not our, our intentions have been achieved is something that any museum and any gallery can do at a local level. That uh, that's a great example, and it occurs to me as you're speaking uh, again. Sort of the obvious thing to say is that that requires leadership at uh, at the highest level as well as as the board level to. A- appreciate and understand that one's mission uh, goes beyond uh, uh, protecting and interpreting a certain collection, but that there is this social justice component, and that only then, once that has been stated clearly, can the, uh, can the evaluation really uh, move from there. I, I, I think that you're absolutely right, and I think you do need leadership which has that kind of, of public vision. And as I say, I think, you know, we, it's, it's, the, it's kind of the next step for museums. It's not an absolutely new step because, you know, in the United States, uh, John Cotton Dana was talking about this, you know, a hundred years ago. And, there, you know, there have been sort of um, you know, similar, um, similar advocates 
of, of this. Stephen Wall was another one. He was talking about it you know, a little bit more recently, about 20 years ago. But this, this really is, in the 21st century, this whole agenda for museums, in terms of their, their social impact agenda, is, is the big new idea. And we, you know, I, I found it very interesting. And uh, this year, the, the theme of their conference was the social values museums, and we see it in the development of the Federation of International Human Rights Museums, um, you know, Intercom, uh, which is one of the international committees of ICOM, had you know the social impact of museums as a theme for their conference. Then it was in Taiwan in 2014. So I think you know this this is um, one one of the really big ideas. For the 21st century. Oh, uh, that's it. Is interesting how things sort of come to a, a tipping point, to use a uh, you know a jargon phrase right now. But I would think too, and this is what you and I were talking about a little bit uh, a week week ago, is the significant uh, loss of uh, government funding within the mm-hmm. UK. Uh, uh, that that seems uh, draconian at best, and mm-hmm. suggests to me, uh, in the in the context of our conversation, that uh, the museums have not necessarily done a very good job of uh, demonstrating their value to the uh, to the government uh, leadership. Yeah, I, I think I think we have to take that one on board, you know, and. Um, certainly, you know, in this country, um, within the last five years, for national museums, uh, funding has been cut by 30%, and uh, there's something called the Comprehensive Spending Review, which is going to be reported within the next week to 10 days, and it looks like there will be funding cuts of, of a further 25%. Well, you know, that's <laughs> that's uh, more than 50% of your budget within uh, about a six-year period, and that's really, you know, pretty drastic. Um, and, you know, there's, the, the cuts really began during the global financial crisis. So there was a certain, there was a narrative about um, learning in public spending to cut budget deficits and manage the economy. And, but, you know, that, that narrative is only one part of the story. And there's other important narratives, uh, one of which is to build cohesive societies in the wake of, of you know, this kind of social fracturing that we're seeing and increasingly polarized political positions and different values as a result of, you know, more diverse populations. And, and I think, um, you know, just going back to the work that um, Jocelyn and, and Richard and I did at the University of Leicester last year, one of the three major categories um, through which people actually, dis- the users describe their values in museums, one of them was connectedness. And you know that that just seems uh, you know terribly important that people feel you know this this sense of connectedness when they're in museums at all levels you know and but particularly connectedness with difference which leads to tolerance and understanding and I think that what we have to do is to then be able to show that that moves beyond that experience in that immediate experience in museums into the public domain, and it's something that we can actually um, evidence and, and use in, as when we are making the case to important stakeholders like policymakers and funders. And that is just um, is going to become increasingly important. It's really important right now. Well, and going back to something that, that you said earlier, uh, that we really are at a point within our museum uh, community, within the cultural community, to move beyond simply being valuable for existence, existence value. But uh, I really am intrigued with this notion of, of, of yours of museums being places that can create and produce value, which uh, moves museums into a, a completely different realm as, you know, n- not just places that need to be maintained, but places that need to grow for the sake of the community. Yes, yes. And I, and I think... You know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time. I think there's real possibilities within this um, because it, it's, it's, the, it's also the mechanism by which museums remain relevant to, to the communities that they serve and to the people who visit them. And I think, you know, I've, I've done um, you know, quite a bit of research. As you know, I, I edited a book a couple of years ago about museums and public value, and that's really referencing the work of Mark Moore. And you know his his whole thing about you know, sort of public value in the in the um, 
in the public sector and, and the relations with government. But one of the things, one of the, the kind of pillars of his arguments is that um, really we need to work with our communities as co-producers of, of cultural value. And I think that's terrifically important. And I think this whole agenda about public value and making an impact in the public domain means that we can become closer to our communities, closer to users, and work together to actually maintain the relevance of museums. And that's, you know, that's just the, you know, the, the greatest... Um, I, I just think that's extraordinarily exciting and has tremendous possibilities. Well, and very, very well, well put. What a wonderful vision for uh, our our uh, cultural organizations moving moving forward. And it reminds me too of how well it dovetails it, uh, in this country with uh, the growth of impact driven funding. Uh, yes, where fund, yes. you know, fund, funders say, well, it's great that you had, you know, so many thousands of school children, but what did you really achieve? And I think using the vocabulary that you have shared with us today uh, and following along the work that, that you are doing will give uh, museums a, a much, be in a much better position to have conversations with funders around this issue and demonstrate uh, the kind and show the kinds of metrics that they're looking for to make that kind of true social difference. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Carol. We're, we're finding um, exactly the same thing in the UK with with fun, public funders here. That people are what they really want to see is evidence that the programs that they funded have made a difference, and that means that they have somehow affected change, both for the individuals that are involved and for the communities in which the program is located. So um, we obviously share, you know, this big body of water between the UK and the US, but there's, you know, as many similarities as there are differences. Well, Carol, thank you so much for being on the show today. You gave us so much to think about, and again, a great vocabulary to talk about it and continue to talk about it. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you very much, Carol. I've enjoyed it immensely. Wonderful. And we will be back again next week with another episode of Museum Life. Until then, uh, remember to contact me either by email or at Muse. Uh, right on Twitter uh, and um, check out my website carolbossertservices.com we will be back next week thanks for listening this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life please join your host Carol Bossert again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Nussbaum with the Anthem Foundation. Premature birth is the leading cause of death of babies and disabilities for children. That's why we support the March of Dimes to help mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas.